Okay, I think we're ready to begin. Got an unusual title this morning for the message. It's the title of it is Nicodemus on Climate Control. Um, and you might wonder how I would come up with such a, a title. We're studying John's Gospel, chapter 3, about Nicodemus, who was a ruler in Israel, a man that had uh, climbed the social ladder, a man of influence, a ruler, a teacher, supposedly a master in Israel, but he was in the dark, and that's what we learn in the, the very first uh, uh, verses of this chapter. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. And that's the Lord's way of indicating to us that Nicodemus was in the dark. He's a classic example of so many people that are in religious circles but don't know anything. And the Lord eventually says to Nicodemus, you're a master in Israel and know not these things? You don't know these things? If you do not understand earthly things, how am I going to explain to you heavenly things? And so it's very important for us to understand something about the religious climate uh, some 2,000 years ago when the Lord Jesus was going about proving his identity because no one really knew who he was. He came into the world, and the world was made by him, but the world knew him not. And so the Gospels, as a matter of fact, the entire Bible is dedicated to uh, identifying who God is, because we do not know who God is. We really don't. And so... God had to write a book called the Bible. He had to inspire it himself, and he had to preserve it himself. And both of those things are equal in terms of significance. God had to inspire the truth about who he is, and he had to preserve himself who he is, or the world would not know. And um, as we've learned in the past, when we're born into this world, we not only do not know who God is, we do not know who we are. We have no real understanding of ourselves apart from the revelation from heaven. God created us in his image and we are not born into the world knowing that. But that's the case. Now, some things, uh, you know, bear repeating. And one of the things that I repeat a lot uh, 
is the fact that the most complex personality in the universe is God. And he is. And he's so complex, there's no way in the world a person could ever know all there is to know about God. Well, what we do know about him is what he has revealed to us in his word. And that's all we know. Much like what we know about anybody else we've ever known in the world. We only know what other people are willing to reveal to us concerning how they think and what they want to do. Apart from revelation, you do not know God nor man. The reason I repeat these things over and over is because these are fundamental thoughts that will help you understand so much of what the Bible has to say. But the thing that is emphasized in this chapter is here's a person who has been studying his whole life. He's a classic example of what Paul was talking about in his letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, chapter 3 and verse 7, where he said men would be ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. This is the condition of every one of us this very moment. We can study and study and study on our own apart from God and when we finish our studying, we will know no more than when we began. Never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. The most important thing in life is not religion. The most important issue in life is the truth. What is it? What is truth? That's another thing that I will never stop repeating is the significance of Pilate and his question, what is truth? It's the most important question that our little minds could ever entertain. And what we discover in our studies is that truth is not merely an academic Truth is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the truth. And a person cannot know the answer to the question, what is truth, until they come to know the person of Jesus Christ. He is the truth. And so what gets you to heaven is not having a lot of knowledge about the Bible and many things. What gets you to heaven is receiving the person of Jesus Christ and nothing short of it. Because you can believe this book. You can believe everything that's in this book and lose your soul forever. And that's what the Bible teaches. You can memorize thousands of verses and lose your soul forever. Because salvation is not the accumulation of knowledge, even true knowledge. Salvation is the person of Jesus Christ. And his passionate desire is to be one with you and me. He loves us. 
He's a person. And so if we fall short of his ultimate plan when he created us in his image, why did he do that? Because he wanted fellowship with us. He tells us in so many words, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. I'm going to send the comforter, and he's going to be with you, and he's going to be in you. And then you read John chapter 17. And Jesus Christ is talking with the Father. And he's talking about this oneness that he has with the Father. This closeness, this oneness with the Father. And his prayer is for those that have come to know who he, that is Jesus Christ, is. And how his desire was for them to be one with him so that they could be like he is, one with the Father. What the Lord's original plan was is that of enlarging his family. He wanted to enlarge his family, the family of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When a person gets saved, they become a member of the family of God, and that's the significance of praying our Father who art in heaven. He's our Father. And so there's a family relationship and a closeness that's what this book is all about. Nicodemus did not understand any of these things. He really did not. He was trying to be religious without God, without knowing the person of Jesus Christ. And he was very much in the dark. And the sad thing is, what was true back then is true today in churches all over America and the world. People are worshiping. They know not what. That's what the Lord said to the woman at the well. You worship, you know not what. And that's exactly what people are doing this very morning and will be doing all over America and the world, worshiping they know not what. This book has been written for us so that we can know who we worship. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ because of who he is. He's the creator God. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 20. It's one of the most profound verses in all the New Testament. Nicodemus did not know these things.
But what he did know was that he was a man that could do some pretty incredible stuff. Miracles, and that's what he talks about in the second verse. He says, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man could do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now, again, this is pitiful understanding even of the subject of miracles because he had not considered the miracles carefully enough to realize that only God could have done what he did. He stopped short of that. He just thought of it as a, an amazing thing. His focus was on the event, not the person that caused the event. There's a difference. He was looking at the events, and he was marveling. Oh, how did you do that? Kind of like, you know, watching a magician, you know, do things. Oh, how did you do that? Well, that's, that's amazing. That's, that's supernatural. But when you go study carefully at what Jesus Christ actually did, he was doing what man cannot do, and that is prove who God is. We cannot prove who God is. God had to prove himself as to who he is by what he did. And that's why Jesus Christ said in John chapter 10, I think it's verse 38, somewhere in there. He said, if you believe not my word, then believe me for the work's sake. Believe me for the work's sake. Why did he say that? Well, think with me. A man is born blind. He's born blind. He grows up to ever so old. I don't know how old the man was that the scriptures speak of. But he was born blind. Everybody knew that he was born blind, especially the person that was blind and his parents, his mother and father. And no doubt the people in the community, they had seen him for years and years. A man that had to be led around by the hand, he couldn't see, and in all likelihood did not even have eyes in the sockets because some people that are blind uh, do not even have eyes in the sockets. If they are, they're withered up into nothing. So there's different kinds of blindness that you see in people. It's very tragic to not be able to see. And Jesus Christ uh, saw this man and created eyes in his head. Now, that's not magic. Who do you have to be to do that? Have we ever considered carefully the complexity of the human eye? Do we realize that at Carolina Eye on Midland Road, those doctors struggle to understand more and more about the human eye because it's so complicated? And there are certain things they can't fix. 
such as that optic nerve that goes to the back of that eye and connects to the brain. And when you get into this subject and start studying it, you begin to, to learn that you actually do not see with your eye. It's just like a lens in a camera. Um, you actually see with your brain. And somehow or other, the light goes through the eye, which is just a, a, a lens. It's not, there's no intelligence associated with the eyeball. It's just a, a part of a series of connected things that enable light to be recorded somehow or other on the brain so that you can see stuff. Now, that's complicated. That's extremely complicated. Well, if a man is born blind, maybe without an eyeball, and maybe with a weirded up uh, uh, connection with his brain from the back of his eye, the optic nerve, what kind of person would you have to be to heal a person just by wanting to do it and willing to do it? And he willed to do it. The Bible doesn't tell us that the Lord went to some lab and started creating things. Nothing like that. It was just the will to do it. Well, how did the universe come into being? Did God go into some kind of lab and get out a bunch of tools and start creating stuff? No. He just willed to do it. God spoke and it was done. Who can do that but God? Nicodemus didn't see this. He didn't think about what we're talking about right now. Jesus Christ was proving his identity. That he's the creator God. He's God Almighty. He comes to the man that's by the pool of Bethesda, crippled. For 38 years the man had been crippled. And passionately wanted to be able to walk. And Jesus Christ comes along and says, take up your bed and walk. And he did. Immediately. He stood up and walked. Who can do that but God? No one but, but, but God. Well, again, the title of this message was Nicodemus on Climate Control. And I think that there's that title sort of synchronizes with some of the things I've said already. But I'd like for you to focus as we begin our study today uh, uh, by looking with me at, at verse 8 of John's Gospel, chapter 3. Verse 8 says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, 
And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So he's talking about the wind. And he's essentially saying to Nicodemus, what do you know about the wind? Well, what do we know about the wind? I mean, as we sit here and think about it, let's put ourselves in the predicament of Nicodemus and ask ourselves the question, what do we know about the wind? Well, that sort of has to do with climate. And uh, to what extent can we control climate? And the obvious answer to the question is, well, we can't control climate. Well, that's too big. We don't even know where the wind comes from, and we don't even know where it goes. And the reason is because we live in the moment. We know nothing about the past in reality. And we know nothing about the future. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 1 says that we do not know what a day may bring forth. The reason it says that is because we live in the moment. We don't know what it's going to be like five minutes from now. In this church, we don't know. There's all kinds of things that can happen that can change our experience on a dime, what you might say. In a moment of time, our life can change forever. And we do not know what's going to be the case a moment from now. And when it comes to the past, we can't hardly remember things like the keys to our car, where we laid them down the last time, or who that person was we met the other week. We have a struggle remembering names. I do. So, so what are we confident about? Well, the only thing we can be confident about is right now. This is where we are. We can be reasonably confident that we're in Sunday school studying John's Gospel, chapter 3. But we don't know anything about the past. Because the past goes back quite a distance, and we weren't even there. There was a time that we were not even born. And so we have to rely on books and, you know, things that have been written about the past. But a lot of history is uh, not accurate that has been written by men because it was written through fallible minds that did not know all the facts about what they were writing about. And so how much can you trust any book that has ever been written by any man? What does any man apart from God really know? Well, precious little. And so history gets perverted and we weren't there, so what do we know about the past? 
Well, the truth is, we don't know any more about the past than the wind and where it comes from. We don't know. And we don't know anything about the future and what the future is going to bring. We just do not know. And so we're locked into the moment. And that's where we are. That's where we exist. So we're profoundly ignorant. We live in the dark. And so the Bible is here teaching us through Nicodemus the human condition. Regardless of your academic standing, if it's apart from God. And so in verse 8, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. What do we know about being born again? We know no more about it than telling people where the wind comes from and where the wind is going. We live in the moment. And when it comes to the question of being born again, what do we know about it? Nothing. Now, I want you to think about this. When you were born the first time, and that obviously has happened because we're all sitting here, what did you have to do with that? The answer is absolutely nothing. You don't have anything to do with it. If you had a mother and father, you didn't know anything about it. When they decided to get married, you, you didn't know anything about that. How you came into the world, you didn't know a thing in the world about any of that. And so when it comes to being born again, the question is, what do we know about that? Well, we don't know any more about it than we did the first birth. Concerning the first birth, what do we know about where we're going? <clears throat> the best we know is that we're going to die. So when it comes to birth, we had nothing to do with being born. And when we die, we don't really have a clue where we're going. And so when the Lord tells Nicodemus in verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 4, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? He didn't have a clue. And you have to connect that his cluelessness with being born again with his knowledge of the climate. He didn't know where the wind came from. 
He didn't know where the wind was going. We don't know anything about the first birth. We certainly did not contribute with works concerning the first birth. And that's exactly the message of the whole Bible. A person cannot be saved by works. You can't be born the second time through some uh, understanding that you have or some contribution that you make through works. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so here's Nicodemus, he's hearing these things, and he's never really entered into the marvel and the wonder of human existence. Where do we come from? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God breathed the breath of life into Adam. And Adam became a living soul. What did Adam contribute to his existence? Nothing. Okay, if you study everything that the Bible has to say about our natural birth, this is sort of what the Lord is talking about when he tells Nicodemus, if you do not understand earthly things, how are you going to understand heavenly things? What are certain things that we ought to understand about earthly things? But the Lord is showing us the parallel between the first birth and the second birth. And that's why he says you must be born again a second time. But this second birth is not going to involve something you can do or that you can contribute. I don't care how long you go to school, how much education you get. You can become a master in Israel, but you cannot contribute to the second birth. Nothing. So the Bible teaches a doctrine called total depravity. It's total depravity. We are totally depraved, totally helpless, totally ignorant. That's the way we are. We're in the darkness when it comes to understanding. We don't know anything. And we can't do anything. And this is the human condition. But with God, all things are possible. But who understands that and really believes it? Who in this world really believes that there's none good but one, and that is God? How many people come to a church like this and hear some of the things saying and get up and walk out? I don't want to hear it. People are offended by the suggestion that they know nothing and they can do nothing. But this is what salvation is. We cannot save ourselves. We are totally dependent upon that Savior 
And there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved but Jesus Christ. And people do not want to believe that's true. But it is. It's absolutely true. And so <clears throat> we learn here in this chapter something about what obviously our entire generation does not understand. When you hear the Democrats talk about climate control, they are a picture of Nicodemus in his darkened state of mind at this point. I mean, can you imagine human beings actually thinking that somehow or other as complex and complicated as the weather is, that we could control the weather. Folks, you gotta be pretty dumb to get on that train of climate control, thinking that somehow or other we're gonna pull this off. We can do something to save the planet we have no idea how complicated these systems are that God has designed when it comes to weather. When it comes to the hydrolo hydrology uh, of, the, of the world, uh, the way the moisture is taken up by the heat and turns into clouds and the clouds get heavy and all of a sudden it starts to rain and it fills up the rivers and it runs into the ocean and then it, you got this cycle. It's very, very complicated, very complex. Our whole planet depends upon the system. And without it, we would all die. It's very complicated. It is as complicated as the human eye and the optic nerve. It is as complicated as the human brain and how all this works. And the idea that we can somehow or other control climate is absurd. It's absolutely absurd. I'd like for you to turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. Let's just begin reading at verse 36. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And it was in the hinder part of the ship, he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? 
And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, saying one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, we need to make a connection between this observation and realization and question with what the Lord is saying to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and verse 8. How that the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. What kind of person would you have to be to be asleep in a boat? And I mean asleep, completely at rest. So much so that the people around you who are scared out of their wits because of the storm, and they come and shake you and wake you up and say, don't you realize that we're going to perish? I mean, aren't you? Don't you know what's going on? Well, he did know what was going on. And he knew exactly what to do about it. Because he's God. And he did something that only God could do. And he commanded that the wind stop blowing. And these disciples realized something. What kind of man can this be that even the winds and the waves obey him, obey him? Well, you'd have to be God for that to happen. And the Lord is teaching Nicodemus something about the human condition. Because, you see, we walk around in this world pretending to be little gods they have a way of thinking that's right in our own eyes. And a way of doing that's going to lead to happiness because we control our future. And that's what our way is really all about. Our way is our way of being personally happy for ourselves. It has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with self. And, um, and so the Lord is teaching, really, Nicodemus, uh, you don't have any understanding. You don't know where the wind comes from. You don't know where the wind is going. And you don't control anything. You can't control the past. You can't control the future. You just exist right now. And that's 
a summary of your life. That's all you know is right now. You do not know God and you cannot know God unless God reveals himself to you. You cannot know him. That's what this book teaches. You cannot know God unless God reveals himself to you and he's chosen a way to do that. And it's through his word. And it's by his spirit. And it's through creation. And you look at creation, and I was doing this just the other day, thinking about it. I, my wife and I went out to eat, and there was so much good food to eat. And we all enjoy that. And I like salads because it has a lot of different things in it. And I like fruit and nuts in the salad. I, I love that stuff. But when I get a, a bowl of, of salad together that I put together, it's got so many different ingredients in it. And when you think about it, all of it came out of dirt. But so did the one that's eating it. I came out of dirt. Okay, what kind of intelligence makes a grape a grape? What kind of intelligence makes pecans a pecan? Or almonds an almond? You know, the leafy vegetables that we have, and they're all different kinds. Where did these differences come from? Because they all came out of dirt. Just dirt. And so how can you have peaches and apples and bananas and grapes and blueberries, but they all came out of dirt? I mean... God is an amazing person because he took dirt and out of dirt created all these varieties, including you and me. And when we die, we're going to go back into dirt. Dirt. Now, what do we know about these things? Well, I don't care if we become a master in Israel. We're not going to know any more about it if we studied it our whole life and had a thousand lives to live and study. We would know no more after a thousand years about the mystery of human existence and this planet Earth than we knew before we were even born. I mean, before... Uh, after we were born, but after we went off to college and studied as much as we could about the world that we live in, we wouldn't know the answer to the mystery. And so the Bible tells us, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And it tells you in the first few chapters that out of the dirt he made everything. Sure did. 
all the vegetation, all the trees, all the fruit. And he created it full grown. It didn't plant it a seed. It, he planted everything was created full grown. I learned that from Henry Mars. It's an amazing thought that he presents uh, in his Genesis account. How to, Adam was not created as a baby. He was created as a full-grown man. God created trees as full-grown trees. All the animals were full-grown. He didn't create an egg and then a chicken. He created a chicken. And they laid the eggs. But God created seeds. And he would take a seed and he would turn it into something that would become a source of understanding the truth of the Bible. A seed. And talking about the promised seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. And how to, out of the loins of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and out of the loins of David a seed would come and he's very careful to explain to Paul in Galatians that he's not talking about seeds as of many but he was talking about that seed that singular seed which is Christ seed And except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. That seed would die. You'd be crucified. And he would be resurrected from the dead. And he'd bring forth much fruit. And the Lord would use all of this to illustrate the mystery of salvation and the second birth that he's talking to Nicodemus about. What do we know about these things? Nothing, only what God tells us. That's all we know. And um, so anyway, um, we don't know anything about the past. We don't know anything about the future. We're totally depraved. And all we know is that we're here and we're going to die. And that is the sum total of what the natural man knows. Now I want you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18. The 18th chapter of Jeremiah, you ought to make a cross-reference to Jeremiah. John chapter 3 with Jeremiah chapter 18 because it's an Old Testament explanation of being born again. That's what it is. So verse, eight, verse 1 of chapter 18. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Now, the potter is uh, a type of Jesus Christ. He's the potter. 
Verse 3, Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. It was his work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay, dirt, was marred in the hand of the potter. And so you do not read that as though the potter didn't know what he was doing and messed up, because that's not what the message of the Bible is. There was something in that clay that was a problem. And you find out what it was symbolically and technically in uh, Ezekiel 28. I think it's Ezekiel 28, where it talks about Satan. Is that Ezekiel? That's right, isn't it? Let me just make sure, because I don't want to say it wrong. <clears throat> That's exactly right, Ezekiel 28. And uh, the way you understand that marred clay is by understanding what it says in Ezekiel 28. If you look at verse 13, I'll just show you this because it's important to see this and understand it and be able to tell other people so they can understand it. Verse 13, Ezekiel 28, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was I covering, the sardis, topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle of gold, workmanship of the tablets and of thy pipes, was prepared in thee in the day thou was created. Now, I'm going to take you back to verse 12 because I want you to understand something about the day that he was created. Verse 12 says, Son of man, take up a lamentation unto the king of Tyrus, and saying to him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sun, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. God created Lucifer perfect. Perfect. He didn't make a mistake. So when you're reading about the potter and that vessel of clay and how it became marred, it was not due to the potter. Very important to understand that. It was due to what we're fixing to read in Ezekiel 28. Let's begin reading at verse 14. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways, from the day that thou was created. So the potter didn't make a mistake. He was perfect. Created perfect. Till iniquity was found in thee. The problem wasn't God. The problem was Lucifer. And the free will that God gave him. That's why the greatest threat in all of human existence 
is what you can choose to do with the free will that you have. You can't blame God for what you choose. You can only blame yourself for what you choose. And that's how the, the clay became marred in the potter's hand. It was because of something in that clay. All right, now let's go back to Jeremiah 18. Verse 4. <clears throat> and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel. It seemed good to the potter to make it. Okay, this is just an Old Testament way of talking about being born again, being born all over again. That's what it means. If you don't see that, you miss the whole purpose of this inspired account. Verse 5, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it? If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And it goes on to say, whatever, but... I've said enough about it for you to understand the sense that it parallels with John chapter 3. So let's go back to John chapter 3. Another thing I want to say about this as far as being born all over again, there's, some people get a little bit confused about um, the relationship between the sin nature and the flesh. Um, flesh in and of itself doesn't have a will. There's no intelligence associated with my hand. There's no intelligence associated with it at all. It's just a hand, it's just flesh. The problem with man is not the flesh. The Bible says to have no confidence in the flesh. It does say that. But there needs to be a better understanding of what the Lord is teaching us when he says that. The human will, apart from God, has a unity with the flesh in such a way that the will, the human will, which is invisible... It has to do with the sin nature. Has control of the hand. And so the Lord puts a oneness between the flesh and the sin nature in the New Testament. And sometimes that confuses people. Folks, God has designed to give us a new nature. His nature. And when he gives us that new nature... And it comes to abide 
with us and in us, then that hand will choose, that hand will actually choose by that new nature to do different things than it would have done if the Holy Spirit had not come and tabernacled in this body. But the flesh is the same flesh after you get saved that you were before you got saved. But it's got a different controller. And so the sin is not really in the flesh. The sin is in the nature that controls the flesh. Is it the human nature that you're born with? Is there a oneness between the human nature and the flesh? Or is there a oneness between the new, type, new nature and the flesh? And that's how you understand it. I hope that isn't too complicated for the way I said it. I, I don't mean to be complicated about it. But it's a mistake to think that, oh, wow. It's a mistake to think that the flesh is the problem. It isn't. It's uh, the nature that's in us that's the problem. Anyway, we'll come back and look at some more things next week, Lord willing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these moments we've had. Please help us to understand it and make it clear that we might be the testimony we should be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.